This is The Balanced Dilemma. We tackle the often uniquely, but not always, female dilemma, managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. At The Balanced Dilemma, we speak with women and men to hear their balanced stories. Our guests are entrepreneurs, reinventors, creators, parents, and partners, telling us what we really want to know. How the heck do they manage that? And can you have it all and all at the same time? October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and the latest statistics say that one in every eight women will develop invasive breast cancer in her lifetime. That's 13% of women. Well, today's guest is sharing her story. It starts with Sex, Drugs, Babies, and Breast Cancer, which is also the name of her new book. But it's also a tale of balance, priorities, and being true to yourself, and more. Welcome, T.J. Hills. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest. T.J. Hills is the founder of a research and data consultancy that has advised institutional investors for over 20 years and a breast cancer patient in remission since 2009. She is the author of Sex, Drugs, Babies, and Breast Cancer, Health Benefits of Estrogen Gene Testing. She's a public speaker and has appeared on national television, radio, and print outlets, and has spoken at major medical conventions across the United States, inspiring women and their physicians to take control of their estrogen health through a simple gene test. Like over 80% of breast cancer patients, her diagnosis was the very first in her family. She learned that while there was no family cancer history, there was extensive faulty estrogen processing. While hindsight is 2020, I believe, this is a quote, Maura, from TJ. While hindsight is 2020, I believe that I would have made vastly different choices if I had understood my ability to metabolize estrogen and perhaps my breast cancer might have been prevented. TJ is a board member of the Better Estrogen Foundation, former board member of Estrogen Gene Test Company, and Hormone Cancer Foundation. She received her master's degree from Columbia University. And just before we begin, we've got to give one caution. This discussion and the information in TJ's book is based solely on TJ's personal experiences and research. She does not have a medical background or or training, and neither do Christy or I. The information is not a substitute for consulting with your own physicians or healthcare providers, nor should any diagnosis or treatment be based on this talk. So again, TJ, thanks for joining us. Let's start with the title of your book. I'd like to ask why no rock and roll, but um, really, where does that title come from? My editor actually didn't want that title because it wasn't Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Um, the The title really comes from, uh, you know, an attempt to allure people to read my book. Um, but what I'm talking about is fertility management, primarily in American women and uh, European women, which involves an awful lot of drugs, beginning from when we become uh, um, sexually active or even sometimes before that, especially now, um, throughout uh, our fertility management, having babies, um, going into menopause, hormone replacement, um, not being able to have babies, fertility, fertility treatments, um, and the breast cancer is my own, my own story and the arc of my own fertility management. And there was something you wanted everyone to know about your message uh, in relation to breast cancer and its connection with estrogen. 
So my, my focus is in a very, very, very narrow aspect of medicine, which is estrogen metabolism gene testing. Um, and there has been a lot of, um, a lot of, of misunderstanding about estrogen metabolism and its dysfunction. And what I, what I want to say is that, is that anyone who has this dysfunction or mutations on these genes, does, that does not indicate that you are at an increased breast cancer risk. These are not breast cancer risk genes. They do not determine uh, in any way, shape, or form your propensity to wind up with breast cancer. And so I just wanted to state that from the outset. But it's a factor that you think after your extensive research and your personal experience that women should be aware of in navigating their own health. Is that your message? Yes. I think, I think that given the amount of uh, pharmaceuticals that women will take over the course of their fertility life and as, as well as uh, the increased exposure we have to estrogen-like substances in our environment, which continues to increase, um, that, that it's very important for women to understand what their inherent ability to process those chemicals are. TJ, before we get to details of chemicals and things you can do, can you briefly tell us your story? What happened? Um, you'll have to cut me off. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, basically, I was, uh, I was diagnosed in 2009 with a uh, very aggressive estrogen progesterone positive breast cancer. I was the first woman in my extensive family because I had to do genetic workup so Going back three generations, there was no cancer discernible. Um, so literally, we had absolutely no idea where this came from. And I, th- I think that's the case with most cancer patients, you know, mm, mm, and, and continues to be for me. I have suppositions. I have ideas about where my cancer came from. But, but you know, at the end of the day, cancer is a big mystery. And a lot of cancer patients spend an awful lot of time feeling very anxious about how did this happen to me? And am I doing everything I possibly can to prevent it coming back? But when you look back, you, there were fertility drugs involved. There were birth control. Those are the drugs you're talking about. For me personally, the drugs involved were 20 years on birth control pills, on the old birth control pill, which is substantially uh, stronger than the current one, Uh, rounds of fertility treatments, as well as a few studies that I participated in. So, so my own personal exposure to medications is, is extremely high. And I've also read in your book that you took some over-the-counter or homeopathic uh, substances that you thought also may have contributed to your estrogen overload. When well, yes, and when I when I was doing fertility treatments, in addition to participating in the study, which was um, where where the doctor had uh, extremely high doses of DHEA, which which metabolize into estrogen. In addition to doing all of that, I also was taking uh, Chinese herbs uh, to, to um, and I mean real Chinese herbs, not tablets, but like go to Chinatown, get the big, the big actual, actual leaves themselves, boil them and drink, uh, drink this thing, very, very high doses of estrogen in that as well. So, so my case, my particular case is, is very extreme. Most of these, these, Things that you were taking, having estrogen effects, was it for fertility reasons or was it for for other things? 
Uh, no, I think, you know, my my trajectory was, you know, I was very, very um, afraid of ever getting pregnant. So when I became sexually active, I started on the birth control pill and I did not really stop taking birth control pills until I was married. So so that's, you know, that's a like the what happened with the fertility drugs was a very short, intense period of time. But. But my my experience was with birth control pills. Um, I'm assuming I, as an American woman, I've had extensive exposure to xenoestrogens or estrogen-like substances. From chemicals. Food, chemicals, pesticides, uh, cosmetics. Uh, I, you know, I was also an amateur photographer, spent a lot of time in the dark room. I actually don't know what what that does to So tell us what this estrogen gene testing is. So so estrogen gene te- uh, testing is essentially on the detoxification pathways. So it's when you're testing... Okay, we gene, need English. In English. <laughs> Simplify it for in me. In English, it's, it's your metabolism, which is how you process substances. And so... Uh, there are some recently recently out there, uh, recently available tests in pharmacogenomics, which, for example, test your tests, which physicians can use to test your ability to process antidepressants, for example, or uh, anticoagulants. Th- those are some of the first pharmacogenomic tests. Those tests are also basically on your detoxification. Like, how can you process drugs? How are you processing these external substances or internal substances? It's basically how you excrete stuff through urine and sweat and this is a blood test and it's fairly simple to no do. no not. this this is saliva uh or it's predominantly saliva interesting and so you can take this test and it will tell how your body processes estrogen using markers is that correct right so so what i focus on uh, i'll try not to get into the weeds here but basically you have two kinds of genes in your body you have inherited genes and you'll have modifiable genes this is a gross oversimplification for anyone out there who with a scientific we're not doctors right and and this test is on modifiable genes which means that they can be altered you're listening to the balanced dilemma we're speaking with tj hills tj before we took our break um we you were talking about modifiable genes can you finish that for us sure so so the test that i i think every woman should take is um it, it identifies the, your ability to process estrogen in particular, but each one of the genes that it's looking for can be altered in its process. So, so you can use this test to improve your ability to, to process estrogen with simple things like fish oil, um, antioxidants like vitamin C, vitamin E, or um, the most important one is is a substance called DIM, which is basically concentrated broccoli. There's a few other things like that, but but you know, I I personally don't you know, I think improving your ability, knowing knowing what you can do, and if you've been to so like if you've been on hormone replacement for five years, for example, and then you find out you have all these genes, you can you can take steps to improve this function. Okay, I'd like to do a little pivot, Christy. Um, you know, you had a very high-powered career, and you still do. Um, and it kind of, uh, as I see it from what you've written, it was a tale of the biological clock sort of crossing the career and that you were misled about the ability to have children whenever you could. In fact, I think what you said in the book was you'd never need to worry about being too old to have a child 
because of scientific and medical technology advances. Can you tell us what happened in that conversation? So I was, I believe, around 28, 29 years old. I had um, just moved to a new city. or um, And I, w- I was with a new gynecologist. And I had always heard that you were, you know, your bio, I'd, you know, basically anecdotal stories about turning 30 and how you can't have children anymore. And I... I asked her, I said, you know, I was whatever, 28, 29 years old. And I said, you know, should I be worried about about having children? And she basically said that, you know, and she's correct. She said, you know, having children was a life-changing event. And it was very important that you were emotionally, spiritually, physically, and financially prepared to have a child. And that, you know, if I didn't want to have a child now, that I should never think about it. Uh, in terms of my biological clock because if I got older and I changed my mind about wanting to have a baby that science science had advanced so much and fertility treatments had advanced so much that I would be able to have a baby whenever I felt like having a baby and I shouldn't give it a second thought. So as you sit here today after everything you've been through do you feel that you were misled with that statement? Do you think you would have taken different uh, courses of action had you been told a variant of that statement or put it a different way would you have listened if you'd been told otherwise uh well based, based on my history i doubt i would have listened to anybody but i think um you know after my breast cancer experience and learning everything i have about fertility and and how we manage it and medications and reading the small print in in the and the flyers that come attached to every every medication in the pharmacy um what what I would like to see is that women, girls, really, girls, as they are given uh, sex education in whatever form that takes, are, are taught about ovarian function. And they're taught about how many eggs they have and how those eggs work in their own body. So... What you're saying here is a change in the pamphlets that you get from the pharmacy or part of sex education. But isn't there another component of this? There are choices that we make in this struggle, this intersection of career and family. Is there also something, a message that you think should be projected with women and girls and men that they should look at these priorities in a different light and maybe consider them on a different time frame than we had been thinking earlier? Well, those are really complicated questions that I'm not sure I've finished sorting through, but um, I think it's really important that everyone understand their own biological function because while while we have made enormous strides as women in the workforce and having birth control, which is a phenomenal change in our in our lives um and it's only been around for 60 70 years well really 60 years and um but i think i think that women need women men need to understand their biology because biology is not keeping up with the rapid rapid pharmaceutical changes that have dramatically changed women's lives all over the world our biology is our biology and 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 in actual fact our fertility curve is moving down so so there's a lot of research out that, you know, where you used to be, quote, unquote, done being able to easily, not easily, but able to have babies at all at 35 is that that curve is moving towards 30 because girls are having their period earlier. 
One of the things we discuss here on this show is self-care, which can take many forms. In reading your story, I read a narrative that you did not give yourself proper self-care. Is that true? Oh, that's so true. So that, let's that just is take, so true. take you back before, and let's talk a little bit about your career and, and how focused you were on it. Sure. Tell us. <laughs> well, at, um, at the time that my first child was born, uh, we, we moved back to New York. And I, um, I had a lot of health issues after my first child was born. And I had been, been self-employed. Um, and I had been working for someone who, uh, who, who, who had used my contacts on Wall Street. And as I, as I explored that, I realized, like, I was working for the wrong side. Instead of working for research, I ought to go back and start working for my clients, which were large investors or hedge funds. So I wound up um, starting this business right around the time my first son was born and it grew and grew till I had a lot of people working for me. I worked a lot of hours and and early in the establishment of this particular business and you know I I had already been working for a very long time when when you know I was already 30 something when I founded this um uh a partner at one of the most prestigious Wall Street firms was friend a friend but in some senses she was really a mentor and what she told me is that i had to we're gonna have to stop there we're gonna take a break we'll be right back this is the we'll balanced the dilemma. End of this. thank you you're listening to the balanced dilemma we're speaking with tj hills tj before our break you were telling us about some advice you received from a mentor can you share so what she told me was that you know i couldn't screw up like you know, work was work, and that I should never screw up my um, you know participation with my child's uh, childhood. So she gave me this piece of advice, which is set your alarm because I was working from home, uh, and I had an office down the street, but I was mostly down from home. She's like, set your alarm for five o'clock. So at five o'clock, I would go, I would play with my kid, I would have dinner, I would put him to bed, bath books, the whole thing, maybe we're done, whatever, eight o'clock. And then I go back to work. Um, and I, th- you know, I think a lot of self-employed women are, are, are doing this. Um, so it was, it was a very rigorous day, but I did take time for that little break. So, so many questions are popping into my head. You were self-employed at this point, but you're, you were affiliated with Wall Street. Did you feel that the self-employed avenue was made things easier on you as a parent than working in the traditional corporate structure of wall street you know what it did is it gave me flexibility it gave me flexibility it didn't necessarily change my hours and every single minute of my day was clocked so when i didn't have to go down to a client which you know at some points i would work primarily for this single hedge fund and i would be on the trading floor um and but but it wasn't necessarily every day and if I had to reschedule, I could reschedule. So I, I had control over my own schedule, which does not mean that I was not working necessarily as hard as someone who was there. You know, but commuting saved two hours a day, right? And this advice that you got, did that change the way you were functioning before you got the advice? It made it more concrete. Like, this is what you're going to do. And if it means you're going to work till 11... 
then that's what it means, right? But, you know, you don't blow through your the only t- window of your child's day that you can participate in to get that work done. So you were all really about work, work, work. And what she was telling you was a way to make sure you were there when you could be for your child. But, sh- but you weren't getting in relief from the work, work, work ethic or work, work, work priority. No. And you no, stayed that way. Uh, I didn't just stay that way. I thrived in my work. So I wound up hiring a lot of people. I had more clients. Um, And basically, what I was strongly committed to was not commuting. And that was really the breakdown. I I was committed to having flexibility, being my own boss, and not commuting, which didn't mean that I wasn't working like crazy. Um, and And I might say the other thing is that, you know, I was... My business was around rigor and exactness and examining things that people were letting letting go. Um, and, it was you know, very data-driven. Very data-driven. And uh, I didn't – I never applied that to myself. So when you decided you, wanted, you were going to have more children and you went through fertility treatments, you didn't do the research – I did not do the research, and what little research I did, I completely suspended belief in. Why? So, so you know, my husband kept talking to me and saying, you know, did you look at this? Or, or the doctors themselves would, would say, you know, you're too old, basically. You are too old. Your odds of having a baby are... are I think, at some point, like 3%. So they actually gave it to you straight about they that? They did. And what happened? I, in my head, I saw that as a failure, and so I was not going to fail. I saw, like, okay, I had waited too long. I had made these series of of decisions that, you know, led to me even considering fertility treatments, which had never been on the agenda. I'd never thought about after that woman had mentioned it so many years earlier. And uh, I was determined to do this. I was determined to succeed. You know what really screams out at me here? How unkind you were to yourself. You were super aggressive and competent in an analyst position for work. You were a mother. You were a partner to your husband. And you put yourself last. Would you do it differently if you had to do it again today? I, You know, as I said earlier, I I don't listen. (laughs) I don't listen. So, uh, you know. I, I, I can't even answer that. But what I can say is that my health severely declined. It declined at the expense of my entire family. And it was actually my husband who, who kept insisting that I, I keep looking for doctors who could help me. And uh, that ignoring your health, you know, when you think you're juggling all the balls, ignoring your health could actually it could actually in my case, severely detract from your ability to keep all the jaws cleaning. But that's a message that I think Americans are now waking up to, that if you pay attention to your health, if you eat better, exercise, et cetera, et cetera, you actually are more productive in the long run. And that's something that I hope people are tuning into. We have been uh, working with Frank Schaefer, who has a book coming out called Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. It's a really long title. But one of his chapters is Motherhood Motherhood is Going to Suck. Why? And that really spoke to me that he had to write a chapter to address something that women are thinking to themselves. Did you think motherhood was going to suck? 
And when did you uh, begin to say to yourself that it was something that you wanted to experience? I have no idea. I, I, I decided, so when I got married, or when I agreed to get married... So it was basically like in my agreement to get married, it was like, okay, we're going to get married and we're going to have children. I never and still sort of don't see any reason to ever get married if you're not going to have children. Because why would you do that to yourself, right? As a woman, um, this is all. This is all. Well, my, I could come up with a story. few reasons, but <laughs> right. I, you are the guest. This is my. This was my thinking, um, and. And so it was basically an agreement between my husband and I. And so as soon as, and I was older, I mean, I didn't get married until I was uh, 34. So basically as soon as I got married, we, we started trying to have a child. So those decisions were made basically, I, okay, I am going to get married. It was part of that whole change in my thinking. So you were hit with, let, let's call it the proverbial Curveball, although it was way bigger than just a curveball, being sick. How did you manage um, a family and a career while you were also ill? I, so, um, I didn't. I didn't manage it. I, what do you I, mean by that? I got really, really sick. I almost died a few times in treatment. And, um, and so... I had changed shortly before I was diagnosed. I had actually changed uh, my business model a little bit, and it was impossible to go through treatment and keep that up because I was doing market-based uh, work. And so, as soon as I went through my three surgeries and actually got a final uh, diagnosis, like this, this is what this is what you have. This is what your treatment's going to be. These are what your odds are. Uh, I I basically closed I closed the market sensitive part of my business, uh, which I had been spending the most time on, and then I pretended to go to work. What do you mean you pretended? I pretended to go to work. I got dressed up and I would go to the hospital. I would go to chemo. I would I was in the hospital daily, and uh, I would leave the kids with the nanny, and I would you know go do chemo. As my job. That was your job. That so, became my job. I mean, it wasn't forecast to be my job, right? You know, chemo is supposed to be once every two weeks or once every three weeks, but it basically became my job. But you left your uh, analysis job. Uh, no, I closed one aspect of it. I closed, I closed the most demanding aspect of it. So why did you have to pretend? Was that for the children? Was that for you to feel like you were keeping a routine? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't want the children to know how sick I was. I mean, I, I was really, really sick. You know, uh, it's, it's always a possibility that chemo can, well, chemo in some circumstances, you know, can almost kill you or in some cases kill you. And so, you know, I got really, really sick. It's brutal. While this was going on, were you the lead parent in your family? Were you the one primarily responsible for the children? So, um, I still was in charge of scheduling. So it's something you couldn't give up. You, you had, I did not entirely give up being the lead parent, but, um, yeah, I did not. And had you always been the lead parent? Oh, completely. And at this point in time, you had three children. You went from one to three. You didn't even stop at two. 
<laughs> going from one to three children is is just uh, such an exponential leap in time management. Well, in the sports analogy, it's going from man to man to zone defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many analogies we can give here. My grandmother, who had five, would say, once you're over uh, two, it's pretty much the same. So. Oh. <laughs> or the kids are running the house. Definitely. Definitely. You're listening to The Balanced Dilemma. TJ, through the course of your experience between work, parenting, uh, fertility treatments, cancer, did your priorities change? Yes. Um Cancer will do that. Um, but it wasn't until cancer. It wasn't until cancer. Um, I even, even after cancer, I continued to be annoyed with the amount of medical management that I have to do. And it took me a long time uh, to adapt, basically, to putting my health first. So, so you know, there's, there's you know, this thing, you're, you're diagnosed, you get through treatment, you're done. And, like, it's supposedly over. But it's not over. It's not over by a long stretch of the imagination. And it took me a long time to to come to understand that my health has to come first. And that if I don't put my health first, everything will suffer. So the whole juggling act between the husband and the family and the house and the career and the work and the clients, it's all going to fall apart if if the doctor's appointments and everything that I have to do to stay alive and healthy is not coming first. So what did you change? What did you do differently? Uh, from before and after? Yeah. Well, what, what, after cancer, medical management has taken up a huge a huge amount of my time. I mean, I've had subsequent surgeries. I've seen a million doctors. Um, I also carved out time to to become heavily promoting estrogen gene testing. So I, I re- rearranged my business so I could do more non-for-profit work. Um, and so so I, I juggled my priorities more. So some people who've been guests have give us tidbits on how they fit things in. With regard to your health and putting that first, do you have a cheat sheet that says, I must do the following every day, every week, every month? How did you handle your health in a different way after cancer than before to put that priority first? So I think I, I don't, you know, okay, so it was really about resentment. Right. So I, I, I'm an extreme case in all of these circumstances. I, my cancer and, af, and all the side effects I've suffered are, in my opinion, a little extreme, but not that extreme, unfortunately. And so I used to be really upset. I used to be upset of having to have scans and MRIs and CAT scans and surgeries and seeing doctor's appointments on monitored quarterly. You know, I, I, have, I have long-term side effects. I have to see those doctors. And I used to be really resentful about it. And I used to wonder when it was going to end. Like, you know, I used to be resentful. Like, oh, this is a three-hour chunk out of my day. I got to go to Manhattan just to see this doctor. Well, but that's now- not okay. That has to be first. That is health care. I mean, he- self-care. Self-care and putting my health first, it's taken me a long time, but it's finally there. And But in terms of, apart from all the supplements I take to improve my estrogen uh, metabolism function and some other side effects that I've had, um, my, my actual health care hasn't changed. So it's more the resentment level about the time management. You know, my, my, you know, I struggle with my weight a lot more. 
But don't we yeah. all? Yeah, yes. I mean, but my Welcome. diet was never bad. My exercise habits were always good. It just came easily, and now you, know. you have to work on it. No, I mean that's not like the basics of how I was hasn't really changed. It's really more about my resentment at having having basically a part time job of taking care of my and just health. accepting it, utter yes. acceptance of it. You know, I, there was one thing you told me off the air that I'd love for you to repeat: how you look at beauty products. And purchasing them in this whole web of self-care that you have to go through. What do you look for? Um, well, what I do, I mean, there is the environmental working group. So you can look up every single thing you're using, you know, shampoos and beauty products and lotions. And because um, skin is our biggest Which organ. sounds like another job. So how can right. I make that and easier? Pes- and pesticides. Yes. Um, so... What I do is instead of looking up everything, I basically buy European things and I and I do a little research on my laundry detergent so I'm not spreading cancer through the sewer lines. I'm I'm exaggerating. Please don't take me seriously. But why European products? Uh, because in America there's we use we use thousands of ke- chemicals which are suspect and, and they're they not don't, used they're all Europe. banned in Europe. And so so as a quick and dirty, I'll use European products or I'll use like, for example, I use a shampoo that literally says, no, this, no, this, no, this, no, this. Right. And um, we, without saying names, there's a major uh, detergent that probably everyone in this room has in their laundry room. And we've discussed that it is on some no, no lists. And what do you do to ameliorate? the use of this product which with smelly children and everything else sometimes you feel it's a necessity how do you juggle and balance that product you know i actually have it off uh where you know off on the side so if you know there's some really filthy lacrosse clothes i may use it or i may put in a scoop a little oxyclean but i i basically don't my kids and my husband complain my garden's a mess uh, I basically have to do my own garden, or I have to supervise the garden myself. No lawn pesticides. No lawn correct? pesticides. No no weed killers. Yeah, uh, I can only control my little patch of space, but right. uh, those are the kinds of. But things But these are that helpful, and the dirty dozen with fruits and vegetables. Getting familiar with that in your shopping, if you, just to get to basics, the dirt uh, keep the dirty dozen organic, correct? Right. right. You know, I. I there's a, a concept that I've that's been part of our research that I've been dying to bring up, and it's very apropos in this segment. There's a Japanese word called karoshi, and it's basically working yourself to death, and that's li- the literal transa- translation. And in Japan, my understanding is that um, this can be an honor to work so hard that you know you've worked yourself to death. Well, it's a badge of honor in many professions, even here. Correct, and. In listening to you, I feel that, you know, there, there's this concept of uh, women's karaoke that we need to come up with another word, that we just work ourselves to death and avoid all of these things that are so important to our, our well-being and everyone around us. So when they fall apart, everything's going to crumble. Do you, do you feel that on some level you may have committed a bit of karaoke? I still may be committing a bit of karoshi. I mean, I, I, I would not give myself out as, a, as exemplary in the balance that I've wound up achieving. I'm still working too much. I am still working too much. So what does balance mean to you? Um, it means putting my health first, and it means putting my children second, and and then everything ha- has to fall in line. So, for example, when I sit down at my desk 
or when when I struggle out my day, and I'm I am working way way more than I would advise anyone um, to work. Um, I I take care of those tasks first, and if it takes too long, and I never get, and then I might move to a client, right? And then then I'll move to a client. So you shifted your priorities to you. I shifted my priorities to me and and my children have to, and my children and my family responsibilities have to come second and then the clients and the non-for-profit work and everything else. And you became your first client and I want to share a couple things with our listeners. Uh, this program will be made into a podcast that can be listened to after this segment. You can find that on the balancedilemma.com where all of our old episodes can be found and show notes with resources and further reading. You can also find us on uh, social media at the Balanced Dilemma podcast on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And you can listen to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, iTunes, Apple iTunes, Google, Spotify. And so one of the questions we always ask, TJ, is can you have it all and all at the same time? What do you think? What What's all? Well, that you tell us. <laughs> You're not the first to say that, and I would agree. Well, you know, I'm a little extreme, right? And, uh, you know, not being dead is really the first priority, right? So taking care of my health and doing everything in my that's humanly possible to, to stay in remission. Um, yes, and then everything else has to fall aside. If you noted, I actually put my children second. I did notice and, that, which is and, interesting. You know, it's it. You know, yes, all of my priorities have changed because if I'm not around, and even you know, that's potentially being really dramatic. But if I get sick, really sick, then you know what 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 is the point of doing all this? And I'm I'm really privileged. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't have to work. You know, um, I I we are we are now no longer struggling, right? But I do. Because I do, and it. I do it for myself. Before we end, I just want to say your book, Sex, Drugs, Babies, and Breast Cancer. Where can people find it if they're interested? On Amazon. It's available for Kindle, uh, and it's um, and it's basically for 99 cents on Kindle and uh, whatever it is, $3 in paperback. And I would encourage everyone to download a copy. Thank you for joining us, TJ. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Darico. Thank you. I love the book. Thank you for having me.